If you would take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 6. Matthew chapter number 6. It'll be a little different this evening. It won't be uh, perhaps as expository as we're used to around here. But there are some things from this passage that I want to draw our thoughts from this evening as we look at a primer to prayer. A primer to prayer. Some very basic um, questions, some very basic jumping off points on the subject of prayer. Matthew chapter number 6 And I'll begin reading at verse 9, and I'll read down through verse 13. These are the words of God. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The spiritual discipline of prayer is one of the most important yet neglected duties of the Christian life. Second only to really our intake of the scriptures themselves, is this responsibility of prayer. It is paramount in the Christian life. Prayer is what separates holy and devoted men from carnal and unproductive men. Prayer is what separates consecrated and healthy churches from carnal and sick churches. We as Christ's church, the visible manifestation of his kingdom, we are, as it were, his army in the world. And prayer is the supply chain. It is how we request for aid, request for support, request for reinforcements, request for supplies, and how we then in turn come to receive that which we need to do the work God has given us to do. If we are to be used by God, we must be a praying people. We must be characterized by prayer. There's not very many things I want this church to be known for. I would love for us to be known as a church where Christ is exalted. I would love for us to be known as a church where holiness is emphasized. Both the holiness of God and the holiness of man. That God requires of man, I should say, because as you know, man in and of himself is unholy, but God requires us to be holy. I would love for us to be known as a church where the Bible is preached. And I would love for us to be known as a church that prays. And if we are going to be known as a church that prays, this is a very simple logic, and we must be made up by people who pray. Our corporate prayer our praying together will only be as good and as strong as our individual prayer lives are. Now, studying the subject of prayer is very, very convicting. It is very convicting because I would care to venture 
that pretty much everyone here either does not have a prayer life, meaning that you have no consistent time set aside every day for prayer. You don't approach prayer systematically. Uh, you, you really don't even know how to begin climbing the mountain of prayer, so to speak. Or you have a prayer life, you have a plan, but you're not consistent with it, and therefore you're very unhappy about your prayer life. And you're kind of guilty when you think about your prayers to God. Now, if that describes you, don't feel too terrible, because that also describes most Christians. Most Christians. But when we study church history, we find that some of the men that were most used of God, most used of God, were also men that knew how to pray. They had just a special effusion of the grace of God that enabled them to have mighty prayer lives. Study the lives of the Puritans. Study the lives of men that God used to bring revival. Uh, Martin Luther has a very famous quote where Martin Luther says something, I'm paraphrasing here, but he says something to the effect of, oh, I'm so busy today. I've got so much to do. If I don't pray for two hours this morning, I'm not going to get anything done. That was how he looked at it. Now, how do we look at it? We look at it like, well, I'd love to sit down and read my Bible and pray, but I'm too busy. I can't do that this morning. I'll have to do that some other time. But we've got it all backwards. We've got it all backwards. And we need to make prayer a priority in our life, a priority in our church. We need to see the importance of it, and we need to do it. We need to pray. So I I have three simple headings, and they are very simple. Number one, what is prayer? What is prayer? Number two, how do we pray? And number three, why should we pray? What, how, why? I mean, it is very basic. It is so basic, in fact, that when I was studying on the subject of prayer, I had a hard time finding resources that would just explain what it is. There's a lot of people that explain different formulas of prayer and different strategies of prayer and uh, speak in very lofty and eloquent terms defining how to pray and, and uh, the emphasizing in, in beautiful language the importance of prayer. But I wanted to just get to the bottom of it. What is it? What is prayer? Uh, is, is it just simply folding our hands and closing our eyes and talking and saying, Dear God, at the beginning and amen at the end? Is that all there is to it? Well, in my studies, and I'm going, to, I'm going to quote other men this evening, and I'm going to reference other works. One of the reasons being is that I feel like this is an area where I need to lean upon the shoulders of men who are far more equipped than myself. So you'll forgive me for, for quoting and referencing more tonight than perhaps I do in other uh, occasions. John Piper defined prayer. John Piper says, Prayer is intentionally conveying a message to God. Now, notice that. Prayer is intentionally conveying a message to God. Intentionally. Prayer is intentional because it is deliberate. It is purposeful. 
It is not something that you can do by accident. You cannot pray on accident. You have to purpose to pray. And it's intentional because we're always conveying a message to God. Right? Sometimes we're conveying a message, God, you're not really important right now. Something else is more important than you. Uh, God, I love something else more than you in this instance because I'm choosing to do this other thing rather than fellowship and commune with you. We send those messages to God all the time. We don't say them overtly in our prayer, but we do in our actions. Granted, we also, we also do things and communicate messages that do glorify God when we come to church, when we read the Bible, when we uh, think about the things of God, when we prepare our hearts and minds for the worship of God. We're sending a message there as well that the things of God have an importance in my life. But that's not prayer. That's just the, the, the uh, natural, normal messages that we send to God. Prayer is something that is very intentional. In the Bible, when we study the man who had the greatest prayer life of any man that has ever lived, it is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we look at the, the prayer life of Christ, we find that he had a habit of going apart to pray. Uh, the Bible says he, he went yonder to pray. He got away from the world. He, he got away from everything else. He cut off this block of time when it was just him and God, him and the Father, and he prayed. Prayer is intentional. Prayer is conveying a message. Now, why not just say, talking to God. Prayer is talking to God, and it is talking to God. But simply saying talking to God doesn't grasp the intensity of the conversation. I believe that prayer is more than just talking. Now, our prayers should not be driven by emotions, but I believe prayer calls for an emotional response. For instance, if I were to tell my wife that I loved her, if all I ever did was in a very dry, monotone voice at 8 o'clock every morning, because that was, that was the time I set aside, if all I did was say, Honey, I love you, and that was it, I don't think I would really be affectionate towards my wife. But also, if I batted my eyes and was all sweet and mushy-gushy and acted like I loved her, but never really told her, There'd be a problem there too, wouldn't there? So I think that prayer is a combination of those two things. It is conveying a message, both verbally and non-verbally. The, the manner in which we pray is important to God. Prayer is the chief means of communicating and fellowshipping with God. That's through prayer. You'll, you, there's a sense in which you'll never be closer to God than when you're praying. Look at the text. Verse 9. After this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father. God is only referred to as Father two or three times in the Old Testament. Never in a prayer, as he called that. 
something wonderful is taking place through Christ. We are able to talk to God. And not only do we talk to God, we don't even deserve that, but we're able to talk to God as we could preach a whole message on that. We could preach a whole series of messages on that. We could spend all eternity thinking about all that goes into and all that happened so that we are able to call God Father. God, who should have been our executioner, who, who should have nothing to do with us, wants us to pray to Him and call Him Father. Why? Because God desires to have a relationship with us the way a father has with his children. He doesn't want to have a relationship with us the way a master has with a slave. Or the way a taskmaster has with a servant. Now, are we his servants? Is he our king? Yes. But it's kind of like this. The President of the United States, his children are still his children. Yes, he is their president, but they are his children. God is king over all. He's the king of everyone, right? But we are not only his subjects. We're not only the subjects of the king. We're also his children. We're heirs in his family. So he's our father and he's our king. What, what access we have before him. So prayer is, is communing with our Heavenly Father. That's what it is. Prayer is entering into a triune conversation. Think of your prayer as you stepping into a, a conversation with the Trinity. Your prayer is to the Father, through the Spirit... If you do not have the Holy Spirit indwelling within you, you cannot pray to God. To the Father, through the Spirit, in the Son. We pray in Christ's name. I think that, think that the Lord's name is probably taken in vain in people's prayers more than anywhere else. Because so many people who do not really know God will pray, Well, Heavenly Father, bless me in Christ's name. Amen. We need to think very seriously about this matter of prayer. What a privilege to call God Father. And what a privilege to pray in the name of Christ. Why do we pray in the name of Christ? It's, it's not just words we tack on at the end of a prayer to sound good. When we say, in Jesus' name, or in the name of Christ, we are saying, God, this prayer that we just prayed to you, the only way you're going to hear it, accept it, listen to it, consider it, answer it, is on the merits of Christ. And because of Christ, we have every right to pray that way. We have access. Romans 5 says we have access to God through Christ.
Prayer is coming to the Father based on the merits of His Son. Let's, let's bear with me for a moment. Let's say you pray a lousy prayer. I mean, you just pray a real, a real dud. Say a bunch of just stupid things in your prayer. And God is, is, is up in heaven listening to that prayer. And God is, is again, bear with me. God is thinking, oh man, this guy, he needs some practice. But then you get to the end. And you say, God in Jesus' name. God is pleased. Because God is always pleased by the work of Christ. Jesus is always pleasing to God. Always. Jesus said so. He said, I do always those things which please the Father. You could be praying a prayer of confession. You could be saying, Lord, I have committed this sin, I'm guilty. I am vile. I am wretched. Forgive me in Jesus' name. And the Father says, consider it done. Because you're so great? Because you've unlocked the secret to prayer? No. Because he's pleased with his son. Prayer is a time of adoration, of confession, of thanksgiving, and of supplication. It's actually what I just quoted to you there is what, what some dub the Acts formula. Like the book of Acts, A-C-T-S. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. It's a good order for your prayer. We begin with adoration. And look, we can see this in Matthew 6. We begin with adoration. What do we, what do we typically do in our prayer? We rush right into asking. Right into it. But how did Jesus teach us to pray? Now, Matthew 6 is often called the Lord's Prayer. But really, I don't think that's a good name for it. Jesus would never actually pray this prayer. I'll show you why in a minute. It's, it's actually far more better termed a model prayer or the disciples' prayer. And I, I will get to that in a minute. As a matter of fact, in Luke... Um, he, he, he approaches, the, the, the disciples approach him and they say, Lord, teach us to pray, and this is how he teaches them. If you want to read the Lord's Prayer, go to John 17. Because that's Jesus actually praying to the Father. But, but look, at, look at this prayer. So, Jesus says, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Glorify thy name. Your name is holy. Exalt your name. Adoration. Okay? And then look down at Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You could also translate this, forgive us our sins or forgive us our trespasses. That's why I say this is not the Lord's Prayer, because Jesus would never pray to be forgiven of his sins. He's teaching his disciples how to pray. So he has adoration, he has confession. Thanksgiving is maybe perhaps not explicit here, but I I think the whole prayer is just characterized with this I'm so thankful for the privilege to pray to you, Lord. We see that in this prayer. But it's right to to thank God for what he's done. You know, we like to ask him, but then when he answers, we're not as quick to rush back in thanksgiving. 
I, I, I have been to many prayer meetings, specially called prayer meetings for a specific need. For instance, a brother is, is terminally ill in the church, and the church has a special prayer meeting for him. And I think those are wonderful services. I think we should do that. Don't get me wrong. But I've not been to too many services where the church said, we need to have a special prayer meeting to thank God for what he's just done. And supplication. Verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. See, it's, it's not wrong to ask God to meet our needs. It's not wrong to do that. That is what prayer is. Prayer is this triune conversation to God where we glorify Him, we exalt Him, we thank Him, we ask petitions of Him, we confess our sins to Him, we talk to Him. We talk to Him. Secondly, how do we pray? How do we pray? We pray purposefully. We pray deliberately. We pray seriously. We pray reverentially. Do not presume upon the throne of grace. Do we have access with God? You bet. Absolutely. Anytime, anywhere, no matter what situation we're in, we have access to God. But does that mean we can trivially walk into His presence? Giving no serious consideration to the gravity of what we're doing. Don't abuse your privileges in Christ. Christians have privileges. Don't abuse them. Consider the privilege of prayer. Consider the grace of prayer. It's a grace. Why? Because you don't deserve it. You don't deserve to be able to call out to God. So we pray... Seriously, we pray reverentially. God is, is not our buddy. We ought not be so casual. He's our friend. But he's our God. He's our Father. We pray in faith. We should pray in faith. Notice, this prayer that that Jesus models for us is a prayer made in faith. Jesus is asking for things that he knows will be answered. How offensive it must be to pray to God while not truly believing that he is willing and able to answer us in our hearts. But yet we do. We pray, Lord, here's our petition that we're laying before you, but in the back of our mind, we're thinking, this really is not going to be answered. Even though God said, in the Bible, ask, and it shall be opened unto me. Ask, I'll, I'll answer it. Ask, I'll give it to you. Ask anything in my name. I'll do it. Now we have to understand what he means by that, right? If a father tells his son, Son, I'm your father. You ask me anything and I'll do it for you. Well, obviously, if the son asks, you know, 
Dad, I need a ski mask and a hot rod so I can go rob the bank. Okay, that's not what that father meant. What did he mean? He means anything you ask that is appropriate for a loving and obedient son to ask, I will give it to you. That is what God is saying to us when he says, anything you ask. And sometimes we pray and we don't ask for something that an obedient Christian should ask for. And God, in grace, doesn't answer it. (laughs) But we pray in faith. We trust the promises of God. We know, we pray and we know that God is listening. We know that He is hearing. How do we pray? Prayer is learned. I want to say that. Prayer is learned. Now, there's a sense in which it's natural. Okay? Uh, You don't have to teach a newborn baby how to talk. You have to teach him how to talk coherently. But it's natural for him to make noise and scream and shout. And and, uh, it's even natural as he's growing older to try to formulate words that he hears. So that's kind of how it is for the Christian. Prayer is natural in that sense. I don't believe anyone really needs to tell you to pray if you're truly a Christian. You're going to pray. That's why I abhor the seeker-sensitive gospel. That, that says, well, once you get them the gospel, you have to get them to pray. You have to get them to pray. You know, repeat after me. You pray this prayer. No. If the Lord does a work in their heart, if the Holy Spirit enters into their heart, they're going to pray. If the Lord shows them their sinfulness and the Lord shows them His holiness, they're going to cry out to Him. <laughs> but as we develop in the Christian life, I do believe there's a sense in which prayer is learned. We learn how to pray better. It's like we learn how to speak better. So I'm going to give you four ways that prayer is learned. And this comes from a tremendous book called The Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life by Donald Whitney. It's an amazing book. Number one, prayer is learned by praying. We were, we were moving a piano today, Jackson and Abigail and I. And it was rather heavy. And we were standing there. So those of you who've been to my house, you know I have a pretty steep set of stairs that go to the front door. And this, we got the piano out of my truck, up the first section of stairs, and it's sitting there, and we've got four steep stairs to get up to, and we're sitting there talking about it and planning on it, and finally Jackson just says, well, this piano's not going to move with us standing around here talking about it. We just need to grab it and move it. It's the same with prayer. Don't, don't, don't not pray because you don't feel like you're good enough at it. Just pray. And again, if you're, if you're a believer, if you know God and you're praying in Jesus' name, God will be pleased to hear from you. Guarantee. So we learn by praying. Secondly, we learn by meditating on Scripture. Notice, meditating. Because if you... See, prayer is never God talking to us. Prayer is us talking to God. Where does God talk to us? In the Word, Right? 
So if we're reading his word, and we're not just casually reading it, but we're really reading it, and we're thinking about it, and we're considering it, and we're pondering it. You read a verse and just think about it. You're going to start praying. Because God is speaking to you, and it is natural. Because the Spirit of God is within you, at work within you. It is natural for you, when you hear that word, to respond. I was reading one Puritan, I think it was Thomas Manton, who said, I did not set out to give myself to prayer. I set out to give myself to the meditation of Scripture, and prayer came naturally. You want to boost your prayer life? You want some help with your prayer life? Read the book of Psalms. Read Psalm 1. And when I say read Psalm 1, I mean, don't get in a rush to finish the book. If all you do is read, blessed is the man. I mean, if you read those four words and you just think, blessed blessed is the man. Blessed to receive God's grace. The man. You mean sinful men can receive the grace of God? Pretty soon you're going to say, thank you, Lord, for this truth that men can be blessed by you. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsels of the young. You mean that by the grace of God, I don't have to continue in a life of sin? Lord, help me to do that. Help me to be this blessed man. Consider, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsels of the Let's see, who has actually done that? No one, except for Christ. He is the blessed man. Give yourself to the meditation of Scripture. And you will be praying. Learn prayer by studying prayer. Read the old dead guys. I'm serious. Read the men who knew something about prayer before we have all of the distractions. I have a friend who pastors a church in Georgia. And when he first set out, and he's ordained in the gospel ministry, and he took his first church, he was reading about the Puritans, and he was reading that the Puritans used to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning, 3 to 4 o'clock in the morning, and they would pray for four hours before they would start their day. And so he set out to do that, and he would get up really early, set an alarm clock, and he would get up really early, and he would start to pray, and he might make it an hour, and then he'd fall back asleep. You know, he'd just, he'd get... You know, he'd kneel down to pray and he'd fall back to sleep. Well, what he found out was that they did that because they were, most of the time, subsistent farmers and they were in bed by 4 or 5 o'clock. In the winter times, up north when it gets dark at 4.30 or 5 o'clock, they would just go on to bed. And so they were able to get up early. So natural hindrances and natural, uh, natural inclinations will affect your prayer life. But read the old dead guys that prayed and didn't have the distractions that we had. That knew something about prayer. And emulate those patterns of prayer. Read books on prayer. Listen to sermons on prayer. And fourthly and finally, you learn how to pray by praying corporately. By praying together. By praying with other Christians. Prayer meetings at church, yes. But also just praying with others. Listening to others pray. Again, prayer is best learned caught, not taught. You will learn how to pray more by listening to other people pray than you will ever learn by reading about prayer or or just listening to a sermon about prayer. 
The best way, I, I still believe, is just praying. You learn more about prayer by just praying. But praying with others is a tremendous blessing. How to pray? Pray sincerely from the heart. One of the greatest hindrances to anything in, in Christian service is getting caught up in the superficial. I'm talking about the people that don't go to church because they don't know what to wear. Don't neglect prayer because you don't think you're good enough at it. Because you don't know all the secrets to prayer. Guess what? No one does. D.L. Moody in Chicago. There's a story. I love this story about D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was a pastor of a church in Chicago. And there were two young men who were street preaching in Chicago outside of his church on the street. And a man in the church heard them, and apparently they were, were not the best preachers. Okay? So this man runs in and says, Pastor Moody, Pastor Moody, there's these two men, and they're outside, and they're preaching on the street, and they're just, they've really got some issues with their theology, their presentation. Uh, they've got some problems. And D.L. Moody says, Well, I like the way they're doing it wrong better than the way you're not doing it at all. And it is the same with prayer. God likes the way that you do it wrong better than the way you don't do it at all. Here's how much God wants you to pray. Here's how much God wants to hear from you. In Romans 8, in Romans 8, verse 26 through 27. Romans 8, verse 26 says this. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. That tells me that the Apostle Paul struggled in his prayer life. The Apostle Paul sometimes just didn't know what to pray for. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us. How bad does God want to hear from you in prayer. He wants to hear from you so badly in prayer that when you can't even pray, the Spirit will help you to pray. With groanings that cannot be uttered. You ever have feelings towards God in your heart that you don't even know how to put to words? The Spirit communicates those. Verse 27, And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. When you don't know what the will of God is in your life, when you don't know what God would have you to do, when you're at a place of confusion, when you don't even know what to pray for or how to pray, have you ever been through some situations where you really don't know even how to pray about it? I've been there. And I don't know what God would have me to do. I feel like no matter what I do, I'm going to be wrong. And I, I, I just don't know. Well, the Spirit makes intercession for us according to the will of God, which the Spirit knows because He is God and He's sovereign. And He knows the will of God. He searches the deep things of God. And He prays for us according to that will. How do we pray? We pray, we pray, we pray. Stonewall Jackson the Confederate general. I, I, I love Southern history. Stonewall Jackson was a mighty man of prayer. But he was not always a mighty man of prayer. 
there's a story about Stonewall Jackson in church. And uh, Stonewall Jackson was asked to, to lead the congregation in prayer. And he was, mind you, he was already a very well-respected professor at the Virginia Military Institute. So he was kind of like a, you know, he was somebody. He was asked to pray, and he stuttered, and he stammered, and he could barely get the words out, and he kind of embarrassed himself. And the pastor went up to Stonewall Jackson after the service, and he said, General, I'm so sorry that I put you on the spot like that. I'm so sorry that I called you out. Uh, don't worry about it. I won't ask you to pray any longer. I don't want to embarrass you. Stonewall Jackson said very firmly, Pastor, you are the leader of this flock. And if the Bible says that it is my duty as a man of God and a member of this church to pray corporately, then by God's grace, I will pray. I will learn to pray. And he asked his pastor not to skip over him, but to call on him more frequently so he could have more opportunity to pray. And now Stonewall Jackson goes down in history as one of the greatest American men of prayer that we know of. I mean, he was recorded to literally pray over everything. The man would not take a sip of water before praying. General Richard Ewell who was another Confederate general, who was known for kind of being a crude feller. General Ewell was converted to Christianity while listening to Stonewall Jackson pray. They had had an officer's meeting, and then after the meeting dismissed, Ewell went back to his tent, and Stonewall, as was his custom, Stonewall began to pray. Stonewall thought he was alone. Ewell had forgotten an item in Stonewall's tent and he went to retrieve it. And Ewell, who was lost and unconverted, approached Stonewall's tent and he heard the general on his face crying out to God. And Ewell said, If that is Christianity, I must have it. And God saved Richard Ewell while listening to the prayers of Stonewall Jackson. I don't have a prayer life like that. But I would like to. Lastly, why should we pray? How do, what is prayer? How do we pray? Why should we pray? And I, I know time has gotten away. Let me be quick. Number one, Jesus expects us to pray. Look at verse 9. Jesus doesn't say, and I'm talking about Matthew chapter 6 now. Turn back to Matthew 6 and look at verse 9. Jesus doesn't say, Oh, by the way, you're commanded to pray. No, Jesus just says, After this manner, therefore pray ye. In other, in other Gospels, I think it's, it might be uh, Luke or, Math, or, or Mark, he just says, When you pray. No, no, as a matter of fact, um, look up at verse 5 of Matthew 6. And when thou prayest. Right? So Jesus is just expecting us to pray. He just assumes that prayer is just a common activity in the lives of Christians. But not only is it expected, it is also commanded. And the Bible is replete with commands for us to pray. We are commanded to pray. To not pray is to be disobedient. But prayer is not a dry command. It's not a harsh task. It is a very sweet and royal invitation. When I, when I have to travel without my wife, when, when I have to take a trip, and for whatever reason, she, she's unable to make it with me, she tells me to call her when I get there. She commands me to call her when I get there. Why does she command me to do that? 
she loves me and she cares for me and she wants to hear from me. She wants to know how I am. Why does God command us to pray? You think about, think about it this way. And, and this question could be asked for so many things. What is, what's in it for God? Other than the fact that he loves us and wants to hear from us. Doesn't that just make you want to pray? And now, lastly, let's answer the big question. Since God is sovereign, why pray? Uh, If God is all-powerful and all-knowing and omnipotent and sovereign, and if he's ordained all things and predestinated all things, do our prayers change the will of God? Well, let let me give you quick answers. The answer to the second question is no. Our prayers do not change the will of God. But the answer to the first question If God is sovereign, should we pray? Is yes, absolutely. Let me explain. See, really, a more accurate question is this. If God is not sovereign, why pray? What would be the point? If God is not the one who's ordained all things, if if God's will is not above all and over all, why would we ever pray, thy will be done? As Jesus said, instructed us to pray. In the sovereignty of God, we not only believe that God has ordained the end of all things, we believe that he has ordained the means to those ends. In other words, God has ordained to do certain things and he has ordained to use our prayers to get them done. Look at verse 10 of Matthew 6. Jesus says, For us to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Does anyone question whether or not the will of God will be done? We know it's going to be done, right? We know nothing can thwart God's will. Then why pray for His will to be done? Here's another Piper quote. (laughs) Our prayers are part of of the causality of the final victory of God. We know there's coming a day when God's will will be done on earth the way that it is in heaven, meaning that all opposition will be vanquished. We know that God's kingdom will come in a way more real and visible and tangible than it's here today. We know that's going to happen. And we pray for it, not to get it to happen as if, It might not, but we pray because we know that it will, and God has predestined that our prayers will be the fuel for these things to come to pass. I think that's true in the big picture, in the the final end of the world picture, but I think it's also true in individual lives. Does God ordain the salvation of his people? He does. But he also ordains that there's going to be those praying for them. There's going to be someone preaching the gospel to them. He, the example of Richard Yule. God ordained the salvation of Richard Yule. And he also ordained the prayer of Stonewall Jackson on that night when Yule heard it and Yule believed and Yule was converted. In prayer, we are becoming active participants in God's eternal plan. 
that's big stuff. We are entering in to what God is doing in eternity. And the more and more we pray, the more we will be in tune with the will of God. When you pray for yourself, when you pray for the church, when you pray for others, you are aligning yourself with God's will. You are learning more about God. That's why I recommend to write down your prayers and to write down the answers that you receive and the time that you spent praying for it and the length it took to get those answers. And you will learn about God. You will learn what things He's pleased to answer. You will learn what things that He desires that you wait on and think about. He, you will learn these things. What a responsibility. What a duty. What a privilege it is to pray. May we take this business very seriously and may God teach us to pray. And may He be pleased with our prayers.